Welcome back to Madison Bookbeat. I'm your host, Jonas Gomez Tijerino, and I am joined here today by Anissa Yudawanti and Amy Wilson, the organizers, collaborators, editors of the book, What Does It Mean to Tell the Truth? Written by Ms. Yudawanti's ninth grade history students and illustrated by Ms. Wilson's second and third grade art students. What Does It Mean to Tell the Truth is a project which collects the musings of Madison High School students regarding the manner by which history is recounted, whose stories are centered, whose are left out, Whose responsibility is it to ensure that we, as educators of our future leaders, are telling the truth? History as it happened, not history as it pleases. Anissa Yudawanti is a college advisor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison People Program. Before then, she was a history teacher at Madison East High School, which is where this project got its start. Amy Wilson is an art teacher at John Muir Elementary School. Both of them have extensive experience working with Madison youth through their work, including bouts with the Boys and Girls Club, the YWCA, MSCR, and the Mortgage Center for Public Service. Together, they, along with their students, have crafted a loving glimpse into the minds of our youths and how they see the world as it was, as it is, and how they hope it will turn out. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having thank us. For having us. Okay, intro. That's not, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> um, so, for our listeners, could you, uh, either one of you or both, please describe uh, this project and how it came to be and how each of you got involved? Yeah. Anissa, I'll let you start. Sure. Um, so, at the beginning of the 2021-2022 school year, I applied for a grant through the Abolitionist Teaching Network to try to create something tangible for my U.S. history students to walk away with. Um, after the last like year and a half of the pandemic and coming back from being hybrid and uh, really just returning to school for the first time in a new normal, I, I wanted to create a physical book to switch things up, really, to do something different, to do something disruptive. And originally, my thought was that this book would just be a collection of reflections from my ninth grade students about what it means to be honest about history in this country. And as a result of my classroom, we had active discussions about the state of the world and the kind of controversies that exist in teaching history to young people. And so with this proposal, I wanted to document my students' reactions and reflections in this kind of tangible way. And in that same vein, I wanted to affirm for students that their word and experiences are truth and you know, our history in the making. And so I recruited a student to help me write the proposal. And after it was accepted, we began working on it in class and it, it, it transformed into the book we're, we're holding now. And uh, can you, um, Amy, maybe talk a little bit to your experience and being roped into the, the project yourself? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Anissa texted me on a Sunday night, um, and we were both lesson planning on this Sunday night. It was like 10 p.m. <laughs> um, and she was describing the project um, that she was planning on and starting with her students and mentioned how cool it would be uh, to have my students illustrate the book. And this was just kind of like a what if, well, how cool would that be? Um, and as I was reading her text, I was in the middle of planning a unit for my students on Afrofuturism. And we were gonna talk about freedom dreaming um, in that unit as well. Um, we were studying the work of the artist Cyrus Kabiru, who is a Kenyan artist that makes work um, inspired by, in the idea of Afrofuturism. Um, and so 
it was kind of by chance, but Anissa and I have talked about how it's probably more um, about like our shared visions and like our pedagogy and practice, you know, that this came to be because it was like the perfect timing. Um, and that the sequencing of what my students were learning kind of positioned them to jump right in with what Anissa's students were doing. And so it just kind of happened that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you both talk about uh, freedom dreaming in your lesson planning. Can you uh, describe that for our listeners who might not be familiar with the, the term? I, I, yeah, I will, I'll give the people listening the same prompt that I gave my students, and it's on page 30 of the book. Um, and it says that freedom dreaming is an opportunity to visualize the future that we want to live in and harness the necessary tools and resources to actively move that dream toward a reality. It begins with addressing inequalities within ours and others' lives to build awareness and then taking steps to enact that change. And that's adapted from CUNY and their, their definition of freedom dreaming. Um, so I think the shared question that we gave to students was, what kind of future would you build if you had all the tools? So um, Anissa. You describe yourself as a community-based educator specializing in liberatory pedagogy, youth engagement, culturally relevant curriculum and practices, and community partnerships. Can you describe liberatory pedagogy and how it informs your work? Yeah, so I, I identify as, as an abolitionist uh, educator, and it's in, in, in align with liberatory pedagogy, and it's rooted really in bell hooks. It's rooted in her work um, teaching to transgress. And it's this idea that a classroom should provide students with means to escape oppression. And mm -hmm. it's also this idea that the classroom is a, a political space, that teaching is political, it's never a neutral act. And it operates with this assumption that our role as teachers is to provide young people with, with all of the skills they need to ask critical questions of the world. And so we encourage students to be critical of everything, even us as teachers, as authority figures in school. And we use students as partners in learning, students as experts of their reality, and as a teacher and as an educator myself, as a learner. And we move with this, this hope that this pedagogy is one that actually is liberatory and that it will liberate all of us from, from systems of oppression, including our young people. Hmm. So I'm curious for the, for both of you, how you practice this in your spaces with your specific uh, age group of students. Mm -hmm. um, I think at the core of it for my younger students, my elementary students, um, I really like to start with helping or supporting them in developing their sense of self-efficacy and power um, and really understanding that um, even if they are like young, they have important things to say and those things deserve to be elevated. And then tying that in as an art teacher to how do artists share um, their power with people. And so really putting their own creativity, their own ideas, their own passions at the center of like what we do and what they create um, and making sure that their voices can be heard through their art. At the other end of the spectrum, we have Anissa, who you've worked with the high school students, but now you're working with college-age students. How do you find the experience of liberatory uh, pedagogy changes or remains the same? Yeah, I think working with 
with teenagers and young adults is really powerful because they are on this journey of figuring out who they are and who they are in relation to the world that they live in. And you can have some very, very in-depth and profound and complex conversations with students about how they view the world. And I think, and I repeat this over and over in my everyday and in whenever anybody asks me about kind of what my approach is to working with students is that you have to honor their truth and mm -hmm. you have to treat their experiences as truth. And in the classroom, that looks like shared power. It looks like students taking ownership of their work and it looks like students getting agency over what, what they're learning. So creating opportunities for um, student choice in, and, and connecting what we're learning in the classroom to what they're experiencing in their world and in their life, their families. So I think it, it's a privilege in that sense that I get to really, really see the, that development as at such a critical point for, for people in their, for young people in their development. Truth, centering truth and their truths. We should dive a little bit into the book. So the segments we're going to be reading today come from the, uh, the penultimate section of the book. Each section, as you've laid out, uh, reflects a different step in the research project process that you um, laid out for your students in that semester of work. Can you break down the goals for each of those sections and how they came to help students synthesize their freedom dreams? Yeah, so the Freedom Dreaming Research Project that I, I asked my students to, to do was, or came out of an iteration of a, a research project that ninth grade US history students usually do on the 20s. And typically students are tasked with researching a social issue that really came alive in the 20s and kind of connect it to what's happening now. And I loved that that seed that that plants of looking at the the connections of history and and where we are today and so with this freedom dreaming research project i broke this into three different parts um, the project starts with the students asking that question that i posed earlier of what kind of future would you build if you had all the tools and then also answering the question, what barriers exist that prevent your freedom dream from becoming a reality? And so that kind of reflection allowed students to identify a social issue that mattered to them, one that was very closely tied to their own vision of what liberation looks like. And um, from there, they chose a topic. And so the three parts, the first one was honoring the past. In this part, they were tasked with looking and researching where the social issue that they chose was in the 1920s. So who was at the forefront? Who was addressing it? What were they doing? What were their methods? Um, you know, where, where did it start? Or what, what was happening in the past? And then the second part in understanding this, this idea that history is connected and, and we're still fighting for so many of the same things that people were 100 plus years ago. Um, the second part is called understanding the present. And so in this part, my students were tasked with researching one, how the issue has evolved over time in 2023, 
where that issue is today. And then also to research a community organization that is in, involved in that work um, in 2023. So what is the organization doing? How are they addressing the issue that you chose? And how can we get involved? And then the last part of the Freedom Dreaming Research Project was called Reimagining the Future. And again, in these conversations we have about how interconnected our, uh, the social issues that we learn about are, we understood that, the, that liberation is not going to start and end with us. It will always require the work of the future generations um, to come. And so this is where Amy and her beautiful work and her students came into the picture. Um, my students were tasked with returning to their freedom dream, trying to uh, encompass all of the research that they've done, and to rewrite that dream in language that a, a young child or the next generation could understand. So looking back, and I had my students thinking back like, okay, I'm going to try to explain how you know my little brother would would understand my freedom dream so trying to explain that that vision to a younger child um, and asking them to illustrate it mm -hmm. and I think something that was so just like perfect about this sequence is that while I had not framed it as um, you know honoring the past understanding the present and reimagining the future the sequencing of the unit that I had planned, I realized kind of followed that as well. And so for our honoring the past, we were learning through like an art historical lens. So I like we learned about what is Afrofuturism um, and me trying to figure out how do I explain this to um, an eight year old? <laughs> you know, so we learned about um, how Afrofuturism is like a huge social, political, and like artistic movement. And it imagines a world where like African descended people and their cultures play the central role in the creation of this world. And so we connected it to some pop culture references, but really focused on the artist I mentioned earlier, um, Cyrus Kabiru. And we studied his work and a central theme in his work is um, environmental sustainability and creating art through recycled materials. Um, and so we talked about how his version and vision for a healthy world is one where um, we take care of the world together. Um, so we kind of followed like his leadership um, in that and how um, talked about how we can envision um, kind of our own goals alongside that. So we studied um, through an art historical lens that and then understanding the present, we um, created our own version of art inspired by his work. He makes these really cool um, glasses he calls sea stunners out of like recycled material and garbage essentially. Um, and so we made these awesome sea stunners from our own recycled materials and actually like put them on to like see the future. So there's kind of that element of play um, and actually doing the act of envisioning um, what we might want to see. And then we had created our own paintings wearing our sea stunners of our individual vision for like a healthy, strong and inclusive future. So they had already had that practice kind of um, honoring their own truth, honoring their own experience, um, using their voice to share, what do I think a ha happy, healthy future is for me? Um, and then the reimagining the future was when we partnered with 
Anissa's um, students at East, and they got to read their letters and um, illustrate each freedom dream. And I think like Anissa said, that was that really big um, connection point for um, understanding that it's a community effort. You know, we can't do it by ourselves. And it was really cool for me to see that idea click with the younger students um, and that we are helping these high schoolers in their work and they are helping us in our work and our learning. Thank you both for sharing that. I'm curious, I mean, because you had your processes, your your lessons and the final product and what came with this book. What was the aftermath like with your students and the way in which they reflected on the whole thing? They asked every week, is the book here yet? <laughs> <laughs> is the book here yet? <laughs> um, and uh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump. Anissa, if you want to go no, first, go I ahead, just talked. Go ahead. I was excited to <laughs> so, hear your answer, so you go ahead. Yeah, it was the walking, because they come to art once a week at the elementary level. So it was the walking through the door. Is the book here yet? Is the book here yet? <laughs> um, so that was the excitement. Um, and when we got the book and we were holding it in our hands for the first time, I think the big reflection piece was just them seeing their artwork in a physical copy of something that other people would read. Um, and so we were able to share it at the end of the year. Uh, and I think we actually got it. Was it in June, Anissa? I think it was either the last week of May or the yeah first week of June, really, really late in the school year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we were kind of doing our like wrap up um, stuff for the year anyway. And I was doing some like reflection circles of just like our whole year and what's something you're proud of. And then we had like this book to pass around and find our artwork in. Um, and so we were just reflecting on how we were a part of something bigger than, you know, the one hour we spend in art together a week. It's been a while since the book released. Uh, you mentioned like last summer. And we were supposed to have this interview a lot earlier. So I'm curious for both of you, uh, since it's been out there in the world, what has been your own personal reflection as you grow more distanced from the uh, from being in it, in the process of making it? It's been it's been such a, a whirlwind to to see the kind of reaction we get from um, people who never thought that something like this could be possible. Um, I just remember the day that the books came and with the grant that, that I got, I was able to, um, one, uh, pay, pay one of the students who designed the cover. So teaching them about, you know, people, you should, you should get compensated for your, your work <laughs> and the things that you do. And then, um, also have, get, get a physical copy for each of my students in across all of my classes. And uh, one of the memories that I have that I will remember forever is I passed out the books to all the students. And as I was, I, I guess, like rearranging the books or back at my desk with my back turned, I realized that the students had started getting up and then autographing each other's books. And something about that was just really special. And the, the kind of pride that students had in this thing that they created. And I think too, like in the process over the school year, cause obviously we embedded this project and the work of this, this grant um, between other lessons that we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so with students having so much else going on, you know, they didn't 
see that all come together. So when they realized that like this is an actual thing that we were creating together, it was it was really special. And and similarly to what Amy said of you know students kind of looking through and finding their art, my students were doing the same thing and finding their words, their letters. The beginning of the book has examples of projects that we did, so they were pointing them out to each other, posting on their like Snapchat, Instagram stories of their on the the author page. Um, a student like when I go to college, I'm going to tell everybody that I wrote a book. You know that kind of pride is is so special. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that had to be just like the best part of what came out of this project was that kind of pride. Um, as as far as like the af- aftermath, I guess of it, um, I think it, I think it just renewed a lot of hope for people, especially because that school year was really really hard it was a really hard school year Mm -hmm. um for our schools here in madison but for schools nationally that you know that 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 return to in person after having two years of of uncertainty and and trauma really Mm -hmm. was incredibly difficult um for teachers for students alike and so this really positive and wholesome thing that came out of that was I think something that that created a lot of hope for people and that was also just really really meaningful to see Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it seems like uh, from both of your uh, experiences you really galvanized a lot of positive energy out of a really hard time for students Mm -hmm. Uh, we will be reading from this book and we will be also trying our best to describe some of the illustrations that appear in this book. Uh, and we'll be reflecting and reacting to what we were reading and seeing uh, with the three of us here on air um, and also placing uh, action items on us uh, as we walk away from this interview to take into our lives and to our work however we see fit. Um, so what we've done uh, is select a segment from the last part of the book a specific letter that spoke to us uh, and the artwork that is attached to it. And we will, each of us three, go through it together uh, and chat about it afterwards. So I'll start. Um, I've chosen a freedom dream from page 85 in the book, um, written by Ami. And I'll go ahead and read it. Dear artists, my name is Ami, and I am a freshman at East High School. Some things about me, I have a huge passion for art and photography. I also enjoy listening to music. Thank you for helping us illustrate our freedom dreams. My freedom dream is that everyone is treated equally, regardless of their race, gender, nationality, or place of origin. I think this is very important because we all need to treat each other with respect and kindness so we can all feel safe together and work together. Giving everyone equal rights and equal treatment is important. I learned through our history class that there are many people and organizations who are working hard for this freedom dream. Simplified. My freedom dream is that everyone is treated the same, no matter their race, gender, nationality, or where they originally came from. I'm very excited to see what you come up with. Sincerely, Ami. And the artwork that is attached to this freedom dream was illustrated by Ariana. And I'll do my best to describe it. It is a uh, watercolor piece of a hill on a house. Um, there's a rainbow in the background. 
Um, this house, or this building, rather, uh, is filled with all sorts of colors um, f with, uh, from the rainbow. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, coloring outside of the lines, which is what initially drew me to it, um, because for me, uh, this sort of lands, uh, or rather interprets this freedom dream, I think quite well, um, in that we're trying to really include everyone in this space, um, in this space that right now we consider to be, or rather society considers to be limited. How do we invite these people into our spaces, f people from all kinds of, all walks of life, without busting at the seams. Truth is, it's possible, if I'm being simple. But that's, that's what uh, spoke to me about this freedom dream. I mean, there's so many good ones in here. <laughs> I just had to pick one for this segment. So uh, I'm curious about you two, uh, how this lands on uh, either of you. I think the way it lands with, oh, you go, Anissa. No, you go ahead. No, you go. <laughs> <laughs> you can go. Um, just super quick, I think something that I love about this letter is when she introduces herself and, and tries to let the student that she's connecting with know a little bit about her. Um, Amy and I have talked a lot about how just how wild it is that, you know, the students that are at East High School in my classroom are now connected to this community of younger children on the opposite side of town. And I love the, the small bit and glimpse that we get into the student's life and who she is before she talks about her freedom dream um, so that the person that's illustrating it can know who they're talking to. So that's something that, I, that stands out for me. Um, and I think what stands out for me with the accompanying artwork um, just because I, I know the artist and I know her process. <laughs> and I really loved hearing your interpretation of it because like it makes so much sense that, oh yeah, this house or this building is busting from the seams, which is joy and color. And we don't necessarily know this, but this building probably has the first floor. It's probably like free food. Second floor is probably like, this is the hangout spot. Third floor is probably like, um, oh, this is where all the TVs are and this and that, you know? And it's like, they take everything that they see in the letter, we pulled out the key words and they're like, well, of course I could put that in the building. Let's just make the building taller. We can include all of this. And it was just this like simple idea of this is what the freedom dream is. Like we can make it happen, you know? <laughs> and you don't see that necessarily in the work because we didn't like write it out but the process of them talking about what they were creating and well, I'm gonna make it rainbow because that makes it fun and everyone would wanna walk into a building that's rainbow. And just those little pieces of warmth and joy in the process, I think are really important um, to recognize as well. And it was just really fun to hear the conversations that were happening when this artwork was being created. Hmm. I appreciate that insight into the process. Mm -hmm. It sort of influences my thinking as I'm trying to develop an action item for myself to take away from this. Mm -hmm. For me, for an action item in my role, I'm going to use my job as an example, as an advisor. I think just having to see so many students in a kind of allotted amount of time can become monotonous, especially when the requests are like, well, can you just let me know if I it can take this class or whatnot? 
but the process of that Amy you just described there of kind of imagining what's in this this building despite not despite it not ever you know being in the actual illustration really reminds me to take a step back when working with students and really taking them in um, as they are on their lived experiences and whatnot as opposed to it being ah yes another 30 minute time slot on my calendar one has come up for me um, reading this and looking through the artwork again um, in, in my space. I mean, I guess not just at work, but um, I would love to be a person and create spaces that are um, bursting at the seams with joy and with um, brightness. And um, I would love to really continue to think intentionally about how to like craft those spaces for students and also just for people in, in my community. Okay, thank you both for uh, engaging in that. If you're just joining us, we're here with Anissa Yudawanti and Amy Wilson talking about their book, What Does It Mean to Tell the Truth? Okay, so we talked a lot about truth and centering truth. Uh, I, I would like to kind of dive into uh, whose stories are missing from the narrative and what challenges do teachers face in trying to build an inclusive curriculum? I was going to say, Amy, if you want to, if you want to go, cause you're, you're in it. Um, yeah. I could, I could go longer in it. So, mm-hmm. um, for the first part of the question, um, whose stories are missing? Um, I think we've, you know, alluded to this, uh, or not even alluded explicitly said so far in the interview, um, the way that black, brown, indigenous, and queer perspectives of not only students, but community members and staffs, uh, staff members are um, definitely missing from the narrative. Um, and I think schools have historically and really systematically silenced these voices. Um, and so it takes really like purposeful unapologetic reimagining um, of everything we do in schools to be more inclusive of these voices. And in my day to day, um, I think a lot about how the large barrier I face as an art teacher is um, in in trying to be a part of this reimagining is that like every day, um, every minute is packed in the school day. And it feels like every year feels more packed and there's more things put on. Um, I have no minutes in between my classes. One class leaves, the other one's walking in the door. I supervise morning arrival and recess for students. I only have small chunks of planning time kind of dispersed throughout the week, nothing consistent. And I feel like I'm constantly in survival mode and that doesn't give me the space to like reimagine or to dream um, to make my curriculum more inclusive. And so when I set aside this time, it's like always outside of working hours, you know, systematically designed not to work. (laughs) And that's why Anissa and I were talking at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night (laughs) when we were dreaming this and planning this. And so I truly believe that if schools are going to be inclusive for, you know, students and staff, and we want to create truly inclusive curriculum, 
Um, we need to reimagine and rebuild like the structure of schools to allow for like authentic community building among not only students, but staff and family and community members. And Anissa and I, you know, we're able to collaborate on this project because we have already spent years of our lives um, building our own community together um, and our shared visions for, you know, a future where we can all thrive. And so I'm kind of running, I'm like, running on this um, big idea and it can feel really overwhelming. And so I guess um, I understand that this like reimagining won't happen overnight. So, you know, I try to hold on to the joy and the hope um, and try my best to develop a space in a classroom community where students are co-designers of the curriculum and where they learn how to think like artists so they can feel empowered to, you know, make their own choices and share their own like brilliance and their visions but it, it's hard it's hard to give the space um so i'm trying to find ways to let students take it up you were emphasizing the importance of that community that you've um, built up and being able to help you realize um these visions. Can you talk a little bit more about the community, uh, the Madison community specifically, and how that it supported your vision for this project? Anissa, I'd love for you to share it because you did so much community outreach for this. Yeah, I, th I think this is a good question because I think it made me also reflect on just who I am in in as a as an educator and and how I enter spaces and. I am a, a product of the Madison School District. I was born and raised here in Madison. I was on the receiving end of so many of these community organizations that exist to serve our young people today. Um, and we have no shortage of, of community organizations that are youth serving here in Madison. And so when, when we were in the process of, this, of creating this project, um, and we were looking for additional funding to support it. I immediately reached out to two of those organizations that uh, are here in Madison, one of them being Ruben for Kids and the other being A Room of One's Own Bookstore, knowing that they have a, a shared vision of uplifting our youth, especially our black and brown youth and our queer youth. And so I basically just told them about this project, about what my students have been working on, what Amy's students have been collaborating with us on, and they were so eager to take part in it and immediately um, supported us financially to, to make this dream a reality. And so I think one, a very, very, um, humbling experience in, in knowing that there are community organizations that are ready to step up and do the work and, and put the money, you know, where their where their mouths are in and supporting our youth. And I think that is something that is um, very, very powerful to to think about. Um, and then something that is also really exciting is is seeing this book on the shelf so i was able to work with fozzie taylor who is one of the main booksellers at a room of one's own and 
they were just so, so incredibly excited about this project um, when I first brought it to them. And so getting to see the actual book, you know, after the year that it took to put it together, after the the days that Amy and I spent on a Sunday working on this and arranging the art and pairing things together and doing all this stuff, um, seeing that on the shelf and seeing the kind of support that it got from the people in our community was was um, really, really touching and really important to to my experience with this project. If you're just joining us, um, we're here talking with Anissa Yudawanti and Amy Wilson about the release of their book, What Does It Mean to Tell the Truth? All right, next we're going to enter another Read and Reflect uh, segment, this time led by Anissa. Yeah, so I'm on the same page that, that you chose. I'm on page 86 um, with Michael's letter, so just right next to the letter that you wrote. And Michael says, Dear artist who gets this letter, my name is Michael. I thank you for illustrating my freedom dream and what it means to me. My freedom dream is to make sure I am able to care for all of my loved ones. In my eyes, they come first, and I want to be able to do everything I can for them, which also means I have to do things for myself first, so I'm able to keep myself happy and keep everyone I love happy. But I want to make sure my sisters, mom, uncle, and little brother have everything they need before I can really say I did my best in life. They all have their own dreams. My sister wants to be a rapper with a studio. My other sister wants to style and do nails in her own salon. My mom wants to be an owner with her own business. My little brother wants to play games and have a PS5. My freedom dream is making sure they are all taken care of. I want to make sure whoever my future wife is also has everything she needs, but I don't, but don't tell anyone I said that yet. <laughs> I hope you can illustrate my freedom dream and I appreciate it. Sincerely, Michael. And then the art illustrated by John B. is, if you can picture in your head when you were in third grade and you have a sun in the corner, and so it's like this kind of, you know, quarter of a, of a circle in the corner and then you've got the the rays coming out in the top left you've got three um, houses or buildings that are kind of in a little community together and then you know there's like clouds in the sky the sky's blue it's on a green hill bold colors um, and I chose this because one, like reading this letter and thinking back to when, when Michael wrote it, it cracked me up because the, the part where he, where he said, whoever my future wife is, you know, I'm also Elsa has everything that she needs, and, but don't tell anybody, um, made me laugh and was like the highlight of my day, I remember when reading it. And then I think the, the other reason why I love this letter was the simplicity of the dream and it's really that the people he loves are taken care of. Um, I loved seeing that or, or the way that young people assume responsibility and care for other people. I think we are very, I, I think we like to paint this picture of teenagers as these entities that could care less about other people and I can see why I think sometimes and just you know working in high school I've, I've been there you know I understand maybe the standpoint but I think 
really this experience and being in the classroom and getting to know my students, you know, this is so false. And the reason why I say that is because I saw every day how students cared for their people. Um, I love this emphasis on the collective, like this idea that if, if you're not good, then I'm not good. Um, and I think that this Freedom Dream illustrates that really beautifully. I love the art that, that John V created for it. I, in my head, I'm assuming I would love to talk to them, uh, but in my head, these three buildings mm -hmm. could be Michael's sister, uh, mom, and, and little brothers, like places where they have everything that they need. They're in community with one another. Um, and, and Michael has- They yes. are, don't worry, they are. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, in this, I love I love picturing that you know to, to Michael he sees this this is like the dream and it has it has actualized because his people are taken care of, mm -hmm. um, and I guess um, do do you want me to say like what my action step is right away or do y'all want to respond to it first? Can I respond a little bit more? Of course. I'm just, I'm so glad you asked that question where I'm, I'm, there's three houses, so I'm, or three buildings, so I'm assuming that maybe it's this and this and that, and it, it totally is, you know, and I just, I love the way that, like, this student, John V, who I have this year too, because that's a great joy of the elementary art room, is you could teach kids for five years, and so, you know, this student still comes in and is able to look at her illustration in the book that she illustrated and you know we can continue to talk about it and I just distinctly remember this image because I thought it was a beautiful landscape and I remember her saying well yes we have to have three buildings because there are three people who well we got to have the rapper with the studio we got to have the nail salon you know just that it's so simple <laughs> and I think that's a beautiful thing is it's materializing in this art and of course we need this let's let's build it and it just brings me a lot of joy um hearing you process it that way yeah even in the uh the simplicity of this letter and this this um this artwork there's also it's something that i really appreciate about michael which is that he understands that he also has to be taken care of himself he has to take mm -hmm. care of himself before he can take care of others and i feel like that's lost on so many people i think the action step that this has created for me well two I guess one is is this reminder to uh, to take care of my people and to see how the work that I do can uplift the people in my life um, and just as as you said to take care of myself in doing that work um, and then I think maybe more tangibly and related to my work um, as I work with college students now is, is just remembering that students are individuals and they're extensions of their family, their chosen family, their community. Um, and so when I'm supporting students and when I'm finding ways to, to help them or problem solve with them, just to always keep that in mind, you know, that they are larger than the one person that's in the room with me. I'm really gravitating towards that uh, that self-care component for this one. Um, I mean, it's so easy to 
to burn yourself out when you're extending yourself for others in that capacity, especially in an advisory capacity, um, which is a really empathetic role, um, can be easy to feel just stretched apart. So uh, for me, action item is to be more uh, conscious about the ways in which I am also serving myself. I'd like to hold that one too. I'm. I find it, it's a really tricky balance because in my work, at least, I feel like I kind of have to overextend to make it work. And I'm also finding, um, especially now, this year for some reason, I. I'm seeing the effects of that catching up um, when I am not taking care of myself and overextending a little bit too much. Um, it's harder to be in the moment when I'm actually like with students. So I, I definitely want to lean on that for my action item too. Next we'll enter another reading reflect this time led by Amy Wilson. All right, so um, I'm currently on page 104 and I am reading Eddie's Freedom Dream. Uh, Dear Jaguar, my name is Eddie and I'm a student at East High School. A little about me is that I like to hang out with my friends, play basketball, and listen to music. Thanks for drawing my freedom dream. My freedom dream is that more things should be equal, like everyone should be able to live somewhere, like houses or apartments, and that everyone should get food, water, and clothes. Basically, my freedom dream is that all people's needs are met. We deserve that. What's your freedom dream? I hope you understand mine and can draw it. Sincerely, Eddie. And then um, Eddie's Freedom Dream is accompanied by uh, an illustration by Tanuj. And it is a landscape illustration done in watercolor. Um, there is a gorgeous sun with some sunglasses on. And uh, there are five buildings in this landscape. The first uh, is a building that says Foods and Clothes Store. Um, and then to the right of that building, there are some houses um, and some apartments. And uh, I chose this work because of the beautifully simplistic and profound statement when Eddie said, basically, my freedom dream is that all people's needs are met. We deserve that. Um, and I think, again, it's just so simple, so beautiful, and it makes so much sense. And then. Eddie had also written, uh, you know, he believes that everyone should get food, water, and clothes. And then Tanuj took that and was like, okay, well, I'm going to make a building that has food and clothes. <laughs> um, and it's just adjacent to this, you know, neighborhood of houses and apartments. And I love the way that Tanuj's art brings the vision to life. And I think that's really the power of art in freedom dreaming is that it has the potential to take our dreams and then materialize that one step closer to reality. Um, and it was just so easy. And I like that Eddie and Tanuj show us that with their work. Yeah, thank, for, thank you for picking this one. I had the illustration. I'm just struck by it. It, it looks like a dream, mm -hmm. if I can say that, with the, the colors that uh, Tanuj uses here like the dark kind of night sky, but it's daytime because there's a sun. Um, the colors of yeah. the buildings, the color choice there. Uh, I really like this. Mm -hmm. And this letter in particular, really, I have such a fond memory of this because 
what I did is I, I took one letter that kind of fit in a theme because um, Anissa and I kind of broke down the letters into, oh, this is really fitting with like um, access to housing. This is really fitting with, um, uh, you know, inclusiveness. And we were kind of grouping them and deciding how we were going to distribute them. And I used Eddie's letter as an example in a read aloud to this particular class that Tanuj is in. And so these students were completely invested in making Eddie's freedom dream come true. And like, as we were creating art together during class, we would just hear like, for Eddie. <laughs> and then all the kids would, all the kids would chant, for Eddie. That's amazing. And it was just such a beautiful act of community and love and their full wholehearted investment in like making Eddie's dreams and all the other dreams come true. It was just great. Yeah. And focusing on multiple parts of the letter like mm-hmm. I remember us talking about Eddie being a basket playing basketball and just yes. loving that. Yes. I think, oh yes, Anissa, because even Daphne, who illustrated another one, was like, Well, I gotta put a basketball court in this for Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, of course, yeah, we, we need Eddie's basketball court in here. Do you have a um an action item attached to this one? I do, yes. Um it's going back to the statement that everyone's, you know, needs should be met. I think in my work, I would love um, to kind of set the intention of thinking about like how I can, you know, meet students' needs before, or I guess meeting student needs at the center, keeping that at the center of what I do. Um, I think in schools when things are so fast paced and you feel like you gotta do this, you gotta do that, it can be really hard to pause and really like check in with students intentionally and see like what they need and where they are. Um, And so for me, my action item will be to intentionally slow down, see if our needs are met um, and kind of carry that in every class. I am also lingering on the every, all people's needs are met kind of line um, and leaning on that for my action item um, without getting too into it, the needs of international students in the um, advising space uh, and not treating the group like a monolith as policy kind of dictates and really trying to figure out how to uh, address their specific contexts um, and not disservice them by hiding behind policy for me. Um, it's something I need to take forward and hope that I can also encourage coworkers to take forward. Um, this is kind of connected to like well, my, my overarching themes about kind of where we move and how we move forward, but I think something that stands out for me in, in Eddie's letter and something that resonates with me too is the um, when he says, we deserve that. Um, I, think, I think students and, and young people are, are just demanding more and mm-hmm. because, because they deserve to and mm-hmm just something that I uh, am so proud to see in our young people. So last question before we sign off. There are many wonderful visions uh, of our shared future described here in this book. We went over um, three and their interpretations today. Uh, In your opinions, how do we get to our present to those futures? I don't think it will come as a surprise that the first thing that's coming to my head is listen to youth. (laughs) 
<laughs> listen to youth and center the experiences and voices specifically of black, brown and indigenous youth, queer youth too, um, and amplify those voices. I also think recognizing the interdependence um, and kind of codependence like of ourselves on each other and like seeing that as a strength and recognizing that we can't achieve um, our vision for a future alone. Um, Amy and I have this ongoing joke that we share one brain cell and that we always <laughs> are doing and thinking and moving in the same way. So when she said that, that's exactly the, the first thing that I thought of as well. Um, I, I think it's easy to be cynical about where we are and how far we have to go mm -hmm. with regard to all social issues. Um, but there's just something so hope, hopeful and, and special about the kind of energy and hope that young people can bring. And just as I, I said before, the demands that they're making um, of the world are rooted in the belief that they deserve better. And mm -hmm. they do. So I have some peace knowing that our young people believe that and act accordingly. And so just as Amy said, I think the way, the way that we get there is by listening to, to young people and honoring their experiences as truth and following their lead. Mm -hmm. Well said, thank you both. I've been chatting with Anissa Yudawanti and Amy Wilson about their book, What Does It Mean to Tell the Truth? Available for purchase at a room of one's own. Proceeds from physical purchases go to Freedom Inc. However, if you'd like to view the book for free, it's available online on issue.com. Links to both will be in the description for this episode. I'm Jonas Gomez Tijerino, and you've been listening to Madison Bookbeat on Community Radio, WORT, Madison. Up next is Three Hours of Jazz with Alex Wilding White, but first, the Insurgent Radio Kiosk. Have a great afternoon. Anissa, Amy, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.